Welcome to the Park Life Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Croker. Join me on a deep dive into the lives of people dedicated to the business of fun. You'll find me at parklifestories at gmail.com. Wherever you're listening, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Now, enjoy the ride. Welcome along to episode 44, our first step of the brand new year. This week I sit with Tom Gillander. Now Tom is not your average entertainer, a taker of risks and someone who has allowed his passions to drive his long career forward as a professional stand-up comic in times past, a stuntman, actor, singer and live announcer. I'm sure you'll find his rare humility engaging and his life story motivating. Sometimes known as Tommy G the MC these days, it is now time to meet Tom Gillander. So I'm sitting with Tom Gillender. Do I start by calling you Tom Gillender? Sure, let's go with that. My mum does. So. <laughs> Perfect. Can you tell me a little bit then about the, the I guess, the alter ego, but Tommy G, the MC? Yeah. And and under that moniker, that 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 is that, that's still a moniker you're using, It right? is, yeah, it is. And actually all started because my surname is impossible to pronounce or to spell. So right. every single time I go for a gig or I go for anything, they go, Tom Gillenden, Tom Gilligan, yeah. what is it? Yeah. They couldn't quite get it. And I went, well, that's way too hard. So I just went in with Tommy G. Yeah. And then Tommy G, the MC came about because then uh, obviously I was starting to push that side yeah. uh, of the industry. And so I thought, well, that makes something that rings true. There was people here I didn't even know that were coming up to me on the street. They go, Tommy G, the MC. Like, <laughs> so here we it go. works. Let's go it, with that. It's a brand. <laughs> Before we jump into the park life that you've had, uh, can we just talk a little bit about what you're doing right now? And, mm-hmm. and, and how that works in your, into your life. It's, um, it's a bit of a balancing act at the moment. Obviously, I've been in the park here for, it's 21 years coming up in May. Can you and and when we say the park here, we're saying Warner Brothers Movie World. Correct, yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't really branched out into the other parks. Um, I've done, you know, uh, seasonal things at Wet n Wild. I've done some corporate over at uh, SeaWorld. But here for the predominant time that I've been with Village Rocha. But um, branching out into the other side of things, which is, uh, it actually started out as freestyle motocross. Um, lucky enough to get on board with uh, Showtime and then going away and learning the ropes in extreme sport. And then, uh, yeah, now it's sort of branched out into everything. I sort of get hired to do anything from sport to corporate events to uh, whatever it might be, you know, selling things at a flea market. <laughs> can, you, can you tell us a little bit about airtime? Uh, so Airtime uh, was originally, well, it was born from Showtime. Showtime was the original, longest running and most successful freestyle motocross team here in Australia, for Showtime FMX. A lot of people don't understand what FMX means, but it's freestyle motocross, pretty self-explanatory. And what happened then, obviously, um, when Showtime came into theme parks and then started to getting into um, other events like supercars and doing activations and things like that, the business became quite large. And yet the amount of employees that were there at Showtime were the same. So the freestyle motocross kind of took a little bit of a side a side note to the rest <coughs> of the business. So one of the riders, Brad Birch, decided to step up and um, purchase that side of the team from Showtime and then became Airtime. The main reason for Airtime Showtime was that we still had existing contracts. So we've got a lot of big shows that we do all around Australia. So that might be um, the Brisbane Echo, Sydney Royal Easter Show, uh, V8 Supercars, all those kind of events. And they were still under the umbrella of Showtime. We thought, well, if we make it Airtime, then it's not going to be too different. People are still going to understand it. It's the same team, same riders, same announcer, um, but a different brand. So we did it in that way. And that seemed to just smooth that transition out that we've just gone straight into Airtime. Yeah, great. Yeah. When you, when you look back, can you recall when your creative life started? Because you've managed to build 
a life <laughs> in entertainment. Yeah. And if it's not through dance, it's through song. Yeah. If it's not through vocal performance, it's through on mic host based performance. There's there's so many things that you do do. Mm-hmm. But can you recall as a young guy how far back that inspiration goes and where it might have come from? I think that I could probably say that something similar to I guess every other sort of 14 or 15 year old boy, it was, it was a way to meet girls. <laughs> if I can learn to sing, if I can dance, if I can get up on stage, if I can be the one who's on mic at the school assemblies, then this is going to be my ticket straight in there. <laughs> Let's be aware, you're married now, you've got I a beautiful am very child. I married now, that's it. Beautiful be, baby daughter. There might be a playback happening at home where you're going to have to explain <laughs> this moment. It's possible, it's possible. She keeps, she keeps a short leash on me. But uh, it was one of those things where I yeah. thought, you know, this is a way. But not only then, I mean, we all go through that where you're going through <clears> high school and you're feeling a little bit maybe insecure about yourself. And I thought, this is a way to meet people. This is a way to get popular, to get invited to the cool parties and do the cool things. And that was really what I wanted. And so as soon as I sort of finished high school, I was looking for anything that I could do that was in that industry. And back in those days, it was not easy to try and find a way in, you know, because there was no internet, there's no Facebook, there's no, well, there's no social media at all. How are you supposed to further your career? How are you supposed to get yourself out there? You, I've heard obviously on the Park, uh, the Park Life podcast previously, mm. it is one of those things where you've got to show up, you've got to show your face, you've got mm. to try and get a start where you can just get someone to give you a go. Give me a go on mic, let's see what I can do. And So I did a few things around uh, Brisbane, grew up in Brisbane, uh, where I was doing shopping center shows and um, yeah, school fates and stuff like that and jumping on mic and doing things and singing a couple of songs and making a few jokes and pulling people up on stage and... Um, it was during that time that I guess I kind of crafted that skill and I was lucky enough to um, score a gig at a theatre restaurant in Brisbane um, where I would say that was probably my entertainment university, I think, theatre restaurants. You know, back in the 80s, it was super popular. Um, we didn't have Netflix, so you had to do something at night. So yeah. what else could you do but go to a theatre restaurant? Yeah. <laughs> I think every second um, uh, Christmas party or Hens Night, Bucks Night was always at a theatre restaurant, wasn't it? Yeah. Dracula's obviously very popular here on the Gold Coast. But uh, that was kind of what I would consider as where I really sort of took this seriously. I went, wow, I can actually make some money out of this and, and take it seriously. I was very lucky at the time to be working with some super, super talented people. And I think that's probably where every step of my career, that's been, I've been really lucky where every time I've fallen into something, it's always been working with amazing people that were super... Um, generous with me and able to show me the ropes and I was always really keen I was the one that was turning up first and and jumping on mic before anyone else got there and I was practicing different songs and practicing different things and learning dance routines and whatever by the time the cast would turn up at six o'clock I'd already been there two hours and and trying to get things nailed and then I'd ask those guys hey what do you think of this what do you think of that and they'd be very brutal yeah, yeah. <laughs> which back in the day that's what it would be because you know they're also thinking about their own skin we can't make this guy too good otherwise he's going to take us over but um, in the theatre restaurant world, you've sort of got to sing, dance, be funny. That's yeah. what they would always say, sing, dance, be funny. So I was going to dance classes every week just to try and get better at that. And I was um, lucky enough to meet Mr. Peter Murphy, which you know. Uh, obviously, Pete, um, one of the best vocalists working in Australia. And um, I met him doing a contract over at Dreamworld, a short-term contract. And um, I actually said to him, hey, you've got a fantastic voice. You should come and work at this theatre restaurant with me in Brisbane. And he was working with a band at the time in Brisbane. And so um, he said, oh, I'll chat to the band and see how much work we've got coming up. And it was just at a time where they were sort of, you know, dying out a little bit. Gigs were drying up. And so um, he came to work with me at uh, Crazy's Comedy Restaurant, what it was called in Brisbane. Crazy's. There's a lot of people from around here that mm. would know Crazy's. 
Uh, and um, yeah, getting Pete on board, he just really made me go, I need to get better. I have to get better here because yeah. this guy's absolutely singing the house down. I've got to get better. So I was lucky enough to um, sort of be led by him and he would show me the ropes and he would then come in earlier as well and we'd both sit there and sing and go through songs. He'd give me some tips and that lasted for about um, three and a half, four years up there in Brisbane. And then, um, yeah, got the call up to work down here at the casino. So right. I took over a role as uh, a host and a dancer in yeah. the casino show and I was there for four and a half years. So it just went back to back. Yeah. <laughs> I recall going to the casino years ago, maybe 2006, late 2005, and I'd only known you for a little while, and we were walking into a restaurant, and you were out front yeah. as Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember thinking, is there anything this guy doesn't do? <laughs> you were in a full jumpsuit. Can, can, I, can I go back? Of course. I've got that memory right, haven't yeah, I? Yeah, you do. Yes, I remember that. Do you, did you come from a creative family? Were, were there brothers and sisters? Were mum and dad creatively minded? My, um, all my family are funny. Like every, every family get together we'd have, everyone's cracking jokes, right. everyone's trying to, it was like a one-upmanship. <clears throat> Everyone would be trying to, you know, make the, the crowd laugh the most. And um, my sister is sort of relatively in the industry now. She's um, national marketing manager for your town. So she's constantly on Channel 9 and doing different things and presenting. But um, my dad was always a great public speaker, um, loved from way back in the day, bush poetry and all that kind of thing. And every time we'd get together for Christmas or birthdays, he'd be ripping out poems. Of course, back in the day, it was super embarrassing. But um, he was such a good public speaker and he had such a great personality. And um, I think we kind of picked that up over yeah. the years, you know, just by, by doing that. I've got really funny cousins as well. Right. Yeah. Like getting together for, again, Christmas and whatever. Everyone's cracking each other up and you'd always be trying to get in there. And yeah, I think that's probably where it all started too. And enjoying that too. Just seeing how much fun and laughter you could have on holidays and, yeah. and stuff like that. I'm like, I want to do this for a gig. Yeah, yeah. that's true. But it's funny that you say that about Elvis too, because I remember thinking this. Now, this is back in the era of boy bands, Michael, which I know <laughs> this might not be your number one genre of music that you've got on hey, your Spotify I'm into, list. I'm into the biggest, <laughs> in, the biggest boy band of all yes. time and the original boy band. <laughs> Yeah, John Paul, George, and Ringo. That, exactly. That, that's exactly. my jam. Which you know what that. So, so tell me, what are you? What 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 era are we talking? Mid eighties. We are 80s? talking. No, we're talking uh, early nineties. Gotcha. Early nineties. So we're talking the InSync, the Backstreet Boys, NKOTB. That's it. That's it. <laughs> it was massive at the time. These were the global, you know, sensations. So everyone mm. was like, "I want to do that. Yeah. I want to do that." Uh, and I remember doing that at the time, and we had our own little boy band on the side as well with Peter Murphy and a couple other guys that we knew. What were you called? We were called Motive, because, you know, I don't know. It just looked cool when it was written. We went, that'll be great. And, and usually everybody's got one. Exactly. There mm. you go. So you should have been our agent. Here we are. Uh, but I remember thinking at the time, the last thing in the world that I want to do, if this doesn't work out, I don't want to be an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> and boom, what do you know? There we go. <laughs> But I sort of found um, Elvis I didn't find until I, I came here. When I first started um, here at Movie World of the Park, um, we had a, a great core of singers here. We had Graham Moore and yeah. um, uh, his wife now, Vanessa, and just great singers, JC Moore. Uh, and they said I oh, were doing the Hollywood Legends. That's when Hollywood Legends were still happening down there at um, 
Stars Cafe. And so they said, we need an Elvis. And so you're it, you sing, so you're Elvis. And I was like, is, oh, is I Is this the same era as John Blunt? Correct. Who's obviously Freddie Mercury yep. with yep. Killer Queen. That is correct, yeah. Okay. Tiff Fletcher, she yeah. was doing Marilyn the Madonna. And what a melting yes. pot of talent. Oh, wow. What a time. Yeah. What a time. So you, you get offered the opportunity to do Elvis. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I was kind of pushed into it. They right. said, we don't have one at the moment. you got to do it. And I was like, okay. So I had to go home and, and work it out. And then so I just went through the whole archive of everything of Elvis and learn about it and began to sort of, I didn't know anything about it when I said I didn't want to be an Elvis impersonator. But then when I actually looked into it, I started having this revelation going, this is really cool. This is great music. He's yeah. a fantastic entertainer. He's, you know, moving mountains as far as a performer was. Yeah. And, you know, I just thought this is going to be an honor to do this. So I took it seriously and put my head down and did it. And um, yeah, luckily at the time at the casino, I was actually working for Aerial Angels that night. Right. Uh, and um, yeah, Elvis took off. Elvis went from there and... We didn't really have that I many. This is what I used to hear all the time saying, most of the Elvises that we get, they're fat, old, and they smell like scotch. You don't. So if you could <laughs> yeah. keep coming back, that'd be great. So yeah. that's pretty much where my whole Elvis career took off. <laughs> if we go back a little bit in time, what, what year are we talking when Movie World comes along? And what was that audition process for you like? What yeah. drew you to <clears> think, okay, there's a theme park here now yeah. that's doing this kind of stuff? I originally was, after I worked at that theatre restaurant, I moved on to um, another theatre restaurant, which was Brentley Theatre Restaurant in Brisbane. Again, that was with Graham Moore. What a fantastic talent. He was unreal as well. And he was instrumental in sort of helping me with my vocal range. And I started doing other impersonations like Tom Jones and other, those things as well. Uh, then I actually went and started doing the island thing where you go to the Wit Sundays and, you know, you play guitar and sing in the bar and you you know, host a tennis game here, there, and you do beach volleyball and you show people to their rooms and all that kind of stuff. That was one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life. Yeah. But it wasn't until Pete Murphy came to me and he said, come on, mate, we've got to make a go of it. Let's go to Sydney. And I was like, oh, okay, go to Sydney. That seems like a big leap coming from Brisbane, going to the islands. I wasn't really doing anything at the time. So um, I said, all right, let's go. So we went to Sydney. Pete obviously already had... Um, his hand well and truly into musical theatre at that point. So he'd already done Les Mis and Rent and a few other things down there. So he was established as a singer. I had nothing. So we ended up doing a duo together um, and we were just working at different clubs and pubs and whatever around Sydney. And it just never went anywhere. We were pushing and pushing and pushing and you know what Sydney's like. It's, yeah. it's a tough city. There's a lot of entertainers down there. Just didn't really hit. We were supposed to be there. We'd committed to six months. I got to five months and I went, yeah, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm mm. just, I've got to go. So I left Sydney, came back, and funnily enough, the first job, the first time I opened the weekend paper, as you did back in those days, and it said, auditions, Warner Brothers Movie World for studio presenters. And I'm like, great, presenters, studios, excellent, perfect, straight to the movies, give Tom Cruise a call, I'm coming. <laughs> and, um, and auditioned here um, to do ops. Operations. So, yeah, operations, yeah. yeah. So um, when I very first started, Again, I had no idea what that was all about, but it was when Looney Tunes River Ride and a few other things mm. were, were operating. And um, applied, came in, did the audition, got the job, which I was stoked about. I was stoked about the time because I had nothing else going on. Uh, I wanted to come back to the Gold Coast because I'd already been here for the casino show. I had heard previously from a gentleman named Chris Knight. Chris Knight used to be the warm-up act here in Police Academy. Fantastic, super funny, yeah. whistle guy. I only know him by reputation. Never met yeah. him, but his name... Echoes through, yeah. Yeah, fantastic, like awesome, just um, super funny guy. He was the warm-up act for us at the casino show. Uh, And he'd always said to me, he goes, you'd be great for Police Academy. You should go on audition, you should go on audition. 
But back in those days, you didn't really hear about it. Again, there was no social media, no website, nothing. So when I saw this thing come up saying studio presenters, like, this is a way in the door, you know, at least get in there, I can find out what's going on. So I came in, got the gig, and then straight away, I was eyes on the notice board. What's the next audition? What's the next thing I can get? And I remember four came up at the same time. So it was for Police Academy Action Performer, uh, Police Academy Captain Harris, um, Scooby-Doo, uh, playing Fred, so Fred in the Scooby-Doo game. <clears throat> uh, and the other one was um, Elvis. Elvis, that's right. So I went, surely, I can, I can do this. 100% I can do this. Um, oh, no, sorry, five, Batman. Right. Batman, yeah, that came up as yeah. well. Again, didn't really know anything about it. I'm like, I can give this a crack. And so I auditioned for everything. And luckily enough, there was the same people that were on the panel, obviously, for all of that. It was, you know, the um, entertainment supervisors at the time so they knew me oh Tom remember you from the audition five minutes ago great <laughs> great so I did that did that yeah. did that and by some pure fluke I got all of them at the same time so I'd only Fantastic. been working yeah I'd only been working in operations I think for about two or three months yeah. and um, I had to call Tracy Jensen at the time and say I'm sorry, but I've just got <laughs> got all these auditions that I've, I've got to go. She would have handled that very well with She you. actually really did. <laughs> no, if you're listening, Tracy, I'm sure you did. I was having some fun. Yeah. Uh, I just want to jump in there because <clears throat> you telling that story, which I wasn't aware of, seems to sum you up for me in terms of I'll often have actors through the years or performers who'll want to meet and ask about how do I sustain longevity mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the industry or in the park or... And that question will come up occasionally from certain people that have a hunger in them and they're, they're looking for advice. Mm-hmm. And I've, I think I've told you this. I'll, I'll refer them to you and I'll say, well, do you know Tom Gellander? And a lot of them will. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell them a little what I know of your story, that Tom doesn't wear one hat mm-hmm. and he'll take a risk on himself and go out and acquire new skills Absolutely. and learn to wear the next hat. Yeah. And then when that looks like it's done, he'll go and do the same thing again. Yeah. So he's never keeping still. Mm-hmm. And that way, he's always gainfully employed in the industry because he Absolutely. can wear a multitude of hats. Absolutely. And you were doing that or hungry for that right back at the start yeah. in the, what, the 90s? Yeah. Where you're auditioning back to back. Yeah. Not only Batman, but Elvis. Not yeah. only Elvis, but Police Academy. Yeah. I mean, all of it. That says a lot about your your ability to take risk on yourself. Just yeah. to stay in that space for a minute yeah. then, where does that come from? Because a lot of people will think it and talk it, and it's the fewer that will act on it mm-hmm. and take the risk. I think, um, I think ultimately, if you don't believe in yourself, you don't have confidence in yourself, then what have you got? You know, this is your, this is your product. This is what you're going to either give to the world or, or be able to support yourself. And if you're not going to market your own property well, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? So I've always looked at it like that. Not necessarily in a cheesy sales way because um, you know I think that can be a little bit thin, but um, I've always thought you know what if I apply myself to it, if I do the right thing, if I network with the right people, I'll be able to do it. I'd found out through other people. I'd said what's involved in that gig. So Batman, for example, what's involved in that? They said oh you got to abseil. Never abseiled in my life. So I rang a friend of mine. I said can you show me how to abseil? He went no worries. Went out to his house, grabbed some ropes, went out to Hins Dam, taught me how to abseil, and I went talked to another guy and I said, what's involved with Police Academy? And they said, well, you've got to ride a bike. I went, all right, better get a bike license. So hmm. I went out, borrowed a bike off my friend, taught myself how to ride the bike, went down, got a motorbike license, so I had it. So by the time the audition came up, I was ready to go. I, wanted, I really wanted that. I really wanted to be able to, once that they said, 
hey, okay, good, you've got the gig. I wanted to be able to say, no worries, I'm ready for yeah, it. Yeah, that's you know, great. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to let them down anyway. So you're, you're a performer that's obviously always been sharpening his tools, yeah. even when there's no jobs to go and use the tools on. Absolutely. Go sharpen your tools. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. I think this is a perfect place and I think this is a perfect industry where I do think that's reflected. If you do have a passion for it, you do want to do it, you do go out there, you do the work, you can come in, you're prepared. I think you've got a shot. You know, mm. the people that I find, and you would see this every day, mm. I saw it when I was on this side of the audition table. Um, if people had prepared and they'd come into it, you know, with, with confidence and they'd at least had a knowledge, when there was people that were coming here who had none of that, they'd done no preparation. You know, I used to talk to a lot of people in the park here and say, for example, um, oh, I'd love to be Catwoman. I'd go, great, so what are you doing in order to get that role? Oh, well, what am I supposed to do? All right, well, you're going to have to do some dance classes and maybe you want to go and do some stage combat and maybe you want to do some acting classes that you can hone that character. And they go, yeah, yeah, sounds great. And then three months later, the audition would go up, audition for Catwoman. They'd come up to me. Hey, I'd love to do Catwoman. i go, great. Did you go and do the... No, I didn't do it. <laughs> Don Cheadle, I'm sure I got his name right, played Miles Davis in the film Miles Ahead and I'm sure was in Iron Man, the Iron Man series. Mm-hmm. As the name escapes me, people listening will Iron Patriot. There you go. Anyway, he told the story, and I may have mentioned this before in a previous episode, mm-hmm. but he told the story about being approached constantly by young people that want to be stars. Yeah. And he'll say, I'll get young actors saying, Hey, I want to do what you're doing. I want to do what you're doing. How do I get to do what you're doing? Mm. And he says, Are you working? And they'll say the same thing. I'm in between jobs right now. Nothing's really happening. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of a lull, uh, not getting many auditions at the moment. And he said, I would, I would say, no, that's not what I'm asking you. Mm. Are you working? Yeah. Which means when you're not working, be working. Absolutely. Take that improvisation class. Go to those singing lessons. Absolutely. Take that dance class. Go to that monologue class. Yeah. Go and do that theatre sports session twice a week. Yeah. And always be working. Absolutely. And then when opportunity comes, you're the most likely person in the room. That's right. Because you've been working even when you weren't. Yeah. And he was saying that that's the difference between the ones that build a career yeah. and the ones that talk about the desire to do it. I could not agree with that more. Mm. <laughs> and you've embodied that. What do you think that is, though, that makes people not want to do that? I mean, to me, it seems obvious. It's an obvious thing. I want to do that. I want to be successful. Okay, well, I'm going to prepare for that as best I can. I don't understand really why people don't see that. To me, when they come and they ask me the, those questions, I always say, well, you already know the answer. You've got to go on put the work in, but I've realized now that the question that they're actually asking is, how can I do that easily? Yes. How can I just skate through? Yeah. Can you call someone and get me in? Hit it on the head. Yeah, that's it. What if, if anyone was listening and they asked, I'm trying to imagine what someone might ask you with that. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have moments of self-doubt? or, And if you did, and if you do, how do you transition through any kind of getting in your own way? Um, I remember um, going out to do my first stand-up. So I started doing stand-up comedy when I was working in theatre restaurants, which is a tough gig. That is a tough gig. Yeah. You got an, an it's probably the toughest. A hundred percent. And in those days too, because we're still talking about the 90s here, where audiences thought it was part of the show to give you a whole heap of stick during your, during your performance. So I remember I was just about to go out for my very first stand-up and there was a guy who, his name's Kerry Doman and his name's Nigel. He does the, um, they call him Nigel, the guy that does the names. So he remembers a room full of people's names. Could be 400 people, he yeah. remembers everyone's name. A fantastic corporate performer. And I was working with him right back in the day when he was starting doing stand-up and magic and those kind of things. And he um, comes up to me behind the curtain. I remember there's an audience there, I'm just about to go out. Comes up behind the curtain, he goes, hey mate, how you feeling? I said, oh, a little bit nervous. He goes, don't be nervous, you're gonna be terrible anyway. 
Wow. <laughs> and I actually thought about that. I thought about that at the time. He was a friend of mine. But what he was trying to do was to break that tension. He was just trying to break it. And it did. It did. It did break that tension. And it's actually true. I did think about that. I go, okay, well, what's the point of being nervous? Because I'm just going to start at the bottom and I'll just work my way up. But everybody, all the great comics will tell you, you've got to die a thousand times before Absolutely. you kill once. Absolutely. And yeah. how did you go? Awful. Absolutely <laughs> terrible. <That's great. laughs> but it was that, that's another skill that yeah. is practice. It yeah. is practice. Yeah. Stand-up comedy is like anything else. A lot of people think that, you know, it's, it's this extremely impossible thing. But I guess if you're um, at one with who you are, you're able to cop a bit of flack, especially in real time from right in front of you. Um, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. Just get up and have a chat. It's not that hard. That first night of comedy must have been a big deal for you. Oh, yeah. Original material. Yeah. And did you stick with that? Did you, get, did you continue to go back? So I had another really good mentor at the time. He was the guy who um, was the headlining comedian that was at that um, property. His name's Peter Gross, still works today. Um, he gave me a book which had 10,000 jokes. So he goes, here you go, mate. There's a book, 10,000 jokes. What you want to do is you want to put one of these jokes in first, then do one of your jokes then do one of these jokes, then do one of your jokes. And gradually what you want to do is start deleting those old jokes and keep your own material. So I built my stand up from six minutes. Six minutes was always the first go at it. I went from six minutes to 10 to 12 to 20 and then started headlining. So just from going wow. through and getting rid of jokes on the way. And you've got to be very honest with yourself. Yeah. But I think <clears throat> I was actually talking to a couple of performers here during this week, uh, Jimmy O'Halloran. And um, we were talking about that concept of <clears throat> being able to direct yourself. And I think that does come from stand-up comedy. If you're doing comedy, you're looking at the audience out there. Are they laughing? You're not even really listening to yourself. You're, you're looking at the audience. Are they engaged? Are they laughing? Where's the, the sound of the audience going? Oh, I'm getting a reaction here. That's working. Okay, it's dying here. It's dying here. I need another reaction here. I still do that today. Like when I'm doing... Massive gigs, Sydney Rollies to show, 50,000 people, just me on mic and I've got a Holden. They're calling me saying, hey, there's a problem at the back, you got to fill 10 minutes. Great, no worries. Yeah. I still do exactly the same thing. I just listen to the audience and I go, yes. where am I at? Where am I at? Okay, that's working. I'll yeah. do a bit more of that. That's not working. Well I've said. got to get out of here. Because yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. <clears throat> that's the relationship. It's, the, it's a frequency thing that you almost have to intuit yeah. and feel. You can't, you can't give someone that. No. You've got to get to a point where you're so comfortable yeah. In, your, in your skin mm -hmm. that you can intuit that yeah. because an audience as you know will take on a collective consciousness yeah. that they don't know they're doing it No, that they'll take on a collective consciousness yeah. and if you can tune into that frequency and you can press it and sit back off it and yeah. press it and lift it and yeah. but you have to be able to be relaxed enough to, to do that it's hard to do it takes yeah. practice but it, it sounds like practice. you discovered that <clears throat> yeah. long ago and it stayed with you as a tool yeah, I think because it was so, it was such a harsh, raw kind of industry back then is that you did get that instant direction yeah. from the audience. They would let you know. If they they'll let like you know. They'll yeah. let you know. Do comedy in a nightclub, a normal standard nightclub where they turn the music off and hand your microphone and go, head out there. That's, that's a tough gig. <laughs> I take my hat off to you. I, I, years ago, went on and won <clears throat> Red Faces doing stand-up in the 90s. I remember it. Do you really? I do, I do. <laughs> I knew you before I knew you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We all remember the bad ones. Yeah. And, and I happened to win that. And then there was a friend of mine who had a friend that was opening a bar and a nightclub in Broadbeach at the same time. Yep. 
and she was really excited. This is pre-internet, right? Yeah. Oh, you know that guy? Yeah, we watched that because everybody watched Hey Hey at Saturday. Of course, yeah, so did I religiously. We've got, we know that guy. Yeah. Oh, great. Can you get him to come in and do a 10-minute piece? No problem. And then this, he could almost just do what he did on Hey Hey. And I said, yeah, that'll be great. And they're going to pay me. <clears throat> and I turn up to this nightclub and it, it's a nightclub. Yeah. You know, it's a hard-hitting yeah. club. Yep. And I meet the DJ and everyone's mm-hmm. dancing and I'm sort of sticking, sitting back and yeah. he's like, okay, what time do you want to go on? And it's like 10 o'clock. And I, here's what I did. <laughs> I pulled out. Did you? I did. And I don't blame you. I'm watching the audience. <clears throat> And I'm feeling the, the whole rhythm in the room and I'm yeah. thinking, hang on, let's just take a breath here. Yeah. That thing you did yeah. was at 6.30 in a yep. variety show mm-hmm. for a family audience yeah. and they're going to be a forgiving audience. Yeah. You'll probably get away with being half good, half decent yeah. and you certainly get away with being dreadful because that's the nature of, of the show. Yeah. You're in a nightclub and it's all people around the same age, everyone's yeah. drinking and partying. You're going to come in with these dad jokes that you were yeah. doing at 6.30. On a, and I thought to myself, dude, this is, <laughs> this is going to be one for the ages. Thank them and just tell them you're not a, you're not a stand-up. Yeah. And that was me respecting the form. Yeah. Because I knew I wasn't a comic. Oh. And I knew that really all I'd done was taken some old dad jokes, mm-hmm. done some pretty safe impersonations yeah. and got across the line. No worries. But I knew that audience would chew me up and Tough. spit me out before oh. I even begin yeah begin. and they would have and so I, I i give myself a little pat on the back for knowing that that's not, not for, for you me. No. but you went there yeah so this is all happening while you're doing movie world most of this happened um during that time where i was doing theater restaurant work right. and then working one here when i was in sydney um with peter murphy we used to do a duo so we had a musical duo but then we had a comedy duo as well we had huh. our best gig and our worst gig on the same night explain so we were at a place um, at the entrance, which is on the central coast, Casey Chambers happened to be in the audience, naming dropping, of course, thanks very much. Yeah. Uh, and she wrote on the back of a coaster, which I still have, you guys are hilarious, I'd love you guys to come and open my show. Absolutely. Hands it to the guy at the bar, see you later. Is this pre-pretty enough? This and is as that's releasing. Right. So this is the tour. So she's exploding. Oh yeah. yeah. So this is the tour for that album. Wow. And she wants us to open for her. And we've gone, absolutely, 100%. <clears throat> So we had, a, <laughs> on the same night we'd been booked, the Randwick Labor Club. And it's a good a, room. Great room. <laughs> oh, wow. And a corporate at Leichhardt. Right. So I'm thinking, okay, Randwick Labor Club, we're going to kill. Yeah. People are going to be on the beers, yes, no dramas. Yes. We can skate through this one, no worries. We're going to go to this corporate at Leichhardt and it's going to be a bloodbath. It's not going to be good at all. We go to Randwick Labor Club, we get started. I think we're about 10 minutes in and someone screams the dreaded get off. Whole crowd goes quiet. It's a room of about maybe 600 people. Get off. And I'm like, oh God, we got to wrap this up. Got to wrap this up. So we did, we wrapped it up. We got off, we went off. We said to Casey, we're so sorry. We don't know what happened. She's like, yeah, I don't know what happened. You guys, super funny, blah, blah, blah. We've done gigs luckily for her previous to yeah, that one that had been that had been great yeah. yeah and we were selling merch we we're doing all this sort of right. stuff yeah this gig just absolutely tanks she's apologizing to us she's going i'm so sorry about that crap i'm like no it's clearly our fault so we leave that gig get in the car we've now got to go drive across to leichhardt and do another gig oh, straight away no. so we get back we go there we get out we open the door there's a um function room at leichhardt there there's people hanging off the balcony it's like a, 
I don't know what it kind of was. It was almost like a wedding, but not really. Sure. I don't know what it was. There's people on the champagne. Yeah, it's yeah. chaos. We're like, this is going to be awful. We get up there. We do our very first song and we absolutely nail it. Crowd's going off. One of the best gigs we've ever had. So that went from one of the most humbling experiences yeah. to, wow, this is amazing on the very same night. In one night, that sums up a oh, life of an artist and performer. It does. Yeah. Doesn't it? We had to have yeah. a thick enough skin to get through that first one and then still going. We, I mean, we needed money at the time. We were struggling performers in Sydney. We were, gigs were hard to come by. So we had to do it. And yeah, wow. We were, I'm really glad that we did do that because I felt we kind of redeemed ourselves on that yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so, that was during that period. And then when I got back here was when I actually got the gig at Movie World. Seems like you were also learning resilience, and I, I speak a lot about that as a, as a very important element of for human beings to have and and develop mm-hmm. to be resilient, take the hits to get back up, and understand that there's no growth without the pain of heartbreak yeah. or loss. Yeah. That's where the growth is. Yeah, and you don't know that until you push yourself out there to find out what that feels like. Yeah, so you've got a nice pattern of doing that, which is which is terrific. When you're in that melting pot of movie world and there's mm-hmm. all this other stuff going on, mm-hmm. there's the ability to, to be on mic, you're hosting studio tours. Yep. Now there's Batman, mm-hmm. the Abseiling, and there's Police Academy. Yeah. Where would you start there? What was that experience like and how did it kind of kick <clears throat> off when you got all those roles? That one was, that one was kind of tough because um, once I actually got them, it almost felt like I was, okay, well now I'm holding all the gold. What, what do I do with it? Yeah. What do I do? So um, that was when I just went into overdrive. I just went in. I, all the performers that I was working with at the time were such good performers. I'm legends through movie world, you know, names that people I'll never forget. <coughs> I like there's just that kind of crew that was in, in Police Academy that were just so talented. and, and Well, some of those names people. are internationally recognized stunt yeah. names. And at the time, yeah. were definitely nationwide recognized stunt Absolutely. icons. You know, from Vic Wilson as a stunt co-ward yeah. and then on. Yeah. Jimmy Christensen is now yeah. a highly regarded stunt co-ward. The list That's goes right. on. The Asher yeah. Center Gagler guy, the list goes on Exactly. On. They were all still working yeah. um, just as performers yes. at the time. So I sort of found that that was, okay, if I'm going to learn anything, I'm going to learn it from these people. So every single day that I was there between, between shows, before and after, early in the morning, I'd be saying, can you help me with this? Can mm. you show me this? What do you think of this? Just constantly working, working. And I do remember doing my training with Vic Wilson and I've got so much respect for Vic Wilson just with everything that obviously he did with Police Academy, but just in the way he handled people and the way he trained mm. people. And he was an, an amazing mentor at the time, but he worked me hard. He worked me hard. I was doing six, seven days a week. I was turning up at seven o'clock in the morning and he was doing things like this. He would say, okay, you got the scaffolding that was you know, two and a half stories there. Okay, run up the scaffolding, do this, do that, and then come back. All right, no worries. Run, 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 run. Up, then they come back. It's great job. That was perfect. Do it again. All right, great. Go up, do it again. Blah blah blah. Come back. Awesome, mate. Do it again. <clears throat> so I would leave at the end of the day, covered in cuts, bruises, yeah. just hurting, hurting. But he was obviously <laughs> feeding your enthusiasm to learn. Exactly. Yeah. It was me too. I was throwing myself literally headfirst into everything. I remember doing my audition. This is something that I always remember as well. Chris James was um, part of the Police Academy show, and he's over in Japan. Uh, doing similar things as well at Universal Studios. Great guy. He was actually just here visiting as well. I missed him. I was on a gig. But um, (coughs) I remember going to the audition. This is pretty funny. I remember lining up behind all these guys. You do, when you start to learn high falls, you're going obviously up in height. Mm -hmm. So you go four meters, then you go seven and a half meters, and you go to 11 meters, which was the highest there at the time. So I remember going, okay, four meters, no problem, got this. Never done a high fall in my life. 
We got instruction, obviously, as we were going, but it was more about whether or not you had the guts to do it. So I'm watching these guys do it on the, you know, the four meter tower, do it, do it, do it, yep, no problem. Go up to the seven and a half meter tower. That's when it starts getting a little bit more scary. You start looking down a little bit yeah, at this small pad down the bottom. I got to try and hit that. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, if the guy in front of me goes, I have to go. So if someone, if someone pulls out because they're scared, that's gonna give me the license. Maybe I can pull the pin as well. But I'm like, if the guy in front of me goes, I'll go. So I get up to the seven and a half, a few people jump on, a few people, probably half the field drop out. The guy in front of me, he goes, I'm like, oh no, it means I gotta go. Step up, do it, go. Then we've gotta to go to the 11 meter. Everyone drops out but four people. And I remember thinking again at the time, if I don't do this, I'm not gonna get a job. I have to do this. So I'm thinking the same thing. Now there's this blonde guy in front of me. He looked like a bit of a pretty boy, which is hilarious if you know him now. I'm like, if he goes, I'll go. First two guys, don't do it. Chris James step up, he goes. I'm like, oh no, now I've got to go. Jump up, do it, land. And I remember hitting the pad down the bottom with so much force, just all this air. Every bit of air I think I had in me right from my big toe <clears throat> just gets pushed right out of me. But I opened my eyes up, I was fine, I'm okay, I'm good to go. And I don't want to stop, I don't want to stop you, but I have to, I have to, I have to. Because I, I, I just want to understand, please don't lose your train not of at all, thought. Not at all. When you're on the, the lip of, oh, yeah. of that height and you're yeah. looking down, yeah. can you just tell me what goes through your head and then what's that sensation of the fall like Yeah. for people that don't know? Are you pushing yourself into a forward roll? What you've got to do, you've got to, you've got to control that fall. Yeah. So the idea is actually, um, that's why one of the elements when you're doing your stunt grading is body control. The idea is that you need to control your body when it's in some kind of falling state. So whether you've <laughs> been thrown from a vehicle, whether you're um, taking a wreck off a boat and rolling across water, or you're falling from the sky, you've got to be able to control where that goes because it still needs to look like a fall. Oops, I've fallen, but it also needs to be in a controlled way. You're not going to hurt yourself. When you're looking down at that pad down the bottom, I can't tell you how, it is, it is one of those life moments that you go, okay, I could get really, really hurt if I do this, yeah. but I'm gonna do it anyway. And I, <laughs> I do talk about this to a few people when they're asking me about certain things, when I say that everyone's scared with everything that you do, but the difference is actually just doing it. So you have gotta take that fear, own the fear, know that the reason why that fear is there is because you don't wanna hurt yourself. Same thing comes into play later on, you start driving cars, you're driving up on two wheels, you got things flying at you, or whatever you might be doing as part of the stunt show. The fear's always there, but the fear is what's gonna keep you alive, but you don't let the fear stop you. So when you're standing up on that, on that ledge, the worst thing you can do is jump. You're not jumping. As soon as you jump, now your body's starting to do what you don't want it to do. You need to literally fall. You need to fall out of the sky, but then hold a position that's gonna get you down to your crash mat down the bottom and, and land safely. So that's the hardest thing to do, is to just let yourself fall. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that get, angry, uh, they get anxious. Okay, okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna jump. And that's the worst thing you do. What you'll end up doing is over rotating. You'll end up landing seated and you'll end up with your nose straight through your knees, which has happened. And <clears throat> obviously part of stunt work is to make things that are dangerous, not dangerous. So you can perform them every single day. With Police Academy, as you know, we were doing six to eight shows a day back yes. then during uh, holiday periods. So you've got to do that, do this high fall and then get up and do it again, you know, half an hour later. So, so yeah. yeah, crazy. Thanks for taking the time to do that. <laughs> so yeah, I did cut your flow. <clears throat> you've hit the you've hit the pad yeah tell us about that everything just sort of comes out of you I open my eyes and look up i see vic wilson there he goes you're right mate and i went yep no worries i'm right it was pain shooting down every yeah. limb that i had yeah. but i'm going yep yep i've done it 
But that got me to that section of the day. Whenever you come and you do an audition for the stunt show back then, it would go in sections. So the very first thing that I do is basic body control. So you're jumping on a mini tramp, seeing how you handle yourself, dive rolls, basic things, basic break falls, things like that. You move into the second phase when it'll be more a physical test. So you're running around the set, you're climbing up the scaffolding, you're going up ladders, down ladders, seeing how you handle that. Then you go into your high falls. If you get past that section, that's your basically three quarters of the day. If you get past then, they'll let you touch a vehicle. (laughs) If you didn't get to that section there, you weren't even going to touch a vehicle. So I knew by the time that I got to that point at the high fall that if I don't do this, I'm not going to get the job. So I have to do this. So I'd done a lot (laughs) of, um, when I was at school, I'd done a lot of gymnastics and acrobatic stuff. When I was at the casino, super lucky to work with um, a lot of amazing acrobats, gymnasts. We had um, some guys all the way from the Ukraine that were there and um, uh, another Russian uh, gymnastic team called the Zebras who were amazing. We used to go and train with those guys. Same deal, whenever on our, um, when I was in the casino show, we'd have pretty much nothing to do during the day, but at six o'clock you turn up to stage manager, sign in and you're doing the show. But our days we could do whatever we like. Mm. So a lot of the um, uh, acrobats and gymnasts would go to Pizzy Park and train. So I used to tag along. Can you show me this? Can you show me that? Yeah. And they would they would do it. They'd, I mean, they go there every day. It's part of what they do. Yeah. But they'd get excited about this, you know, kid who's never done it before to yeah. say, can you show me how to do that? So when by the time I got to Police Academy, I still had, you know, I had a fair bit of idea of what I needed to yeah, do yeah. as far as body control and to do something like jump 11 metres and, and not hurt myself. So, but that got me through to that point. So then I could actually get into the car. But driving... Right. Driving was one of those things that really took me to that next level. Yeah. If it wasn't for, for that opportunity and to get through to that, I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing here now for, for Movie World. So let's take us through the drive part of it. <clears throat> driving, um, Vic said the same thing. Vic Wilson, I, was, I talked about before, he said the same thing to me back then. He said, what we're looking for is potential. You don't have to be great. You don't have to be you know, a master at it. You just need to show us potential. So I remember thinking, oh, okay, well, I could do that. Um, I'd done a little bit growing up. I had friends with property. We'd jump in cars and, you know, mm. muck around in the paddock and mm. do those kind of things. So I knew how to drive. Um, but I just wanted just to do enough just to to make, you know, Vic give me the head nod to, to get through. So I just listened to everything he said because I remember him saying that as well. He said it's not only about um, being able to do the show, it's how you take direction. And I've kept that throughout as well. If you don't, if you're not able to take direction and obviously you're not going to do a good show, are you? So I remember just listening just so intently to everything that he says. And I remember I just did exactly what he asked me to do. I'd never been in this car before. It was a completely different setup. So the car that we had back then was, um, you know, the old police cruiser. It had a line locker brake in there, which a lot of people um, have asked me about recently. We use handbrakes in the car now, uh, whereas back in those days, we used to use a line locker brake, which what that would be, it's a little button that was beside your brake pedal and it would pierce the uh, front brake lines. So then those front brakes wouldn't work, so they wouldn't engage, and it would only engage in the rear. Right. So what you would have to do is when you wanted to spin the car around 180 or 360, whatever it was, you'd have to come in, you'd have to hit that line locker, hit your brakes, hit the line locker, and hit the brakes again yeah. to make the car spin yeah. and then get back out of that spin and keep going. Uh, so I just remember listening to Vic and just everything he said, that's exactly what I did. So when I got to the end of that day, he said to me, he said, the, most, the thing that I was impressed the most about the whole day is that you did everything I asked you to do. So I kept that with me through, uh, through yeah. the career. It's one of those things that you go, I have no business being here, but if I don't give it a shot, if I don't give it everything, mm. if, I don't, um, if I don't take an opportunity, then I'm not going to be able to do this. So it was a big, big leap of faith. Yeah. Back in those days, because yeah. I'd never done it before. And you're driving multi-vehicles too, right? Oh, yeah. So there's the hot rod. Yep. 
Can you yes. tell us a little bit about that as well? Hot Rod was really interesting. That was actually a really fun car to drive. One, the best part about it was that it was essentially a, a, an open bucket, so it was a convertible as such, uh, a Hot Rod. So that meant that you had great vision. You could see everywhere around right. the set, so that was awesome. Yeah. Um, but then also they had a completely different braking system. So they would have a, uh, instead of a normal foot pedal that you would have in a car that you drive on the street, it's, it's got a foot pedal, but it's cut in half. Huh. And on one side would be rear brakes, and on the other side would be all brakes. So we used to dance between those two brakes all right. the time. You'd hit your rear brakes to get the car to spin, hit those all brakes to pull the car up. Uh, and that hot rod, I actually attribute that hot rod <clears throat> to me being able to drive those <clears throat> Mitsubishi Evos in the Hollywood Stunt Hollywood Driver Stunt 1. Because yeah. Yeah. that, again, was another difficult car to drive. That was a manual yeah. car. I hadn't driven manuals before. These cars were automatic in Police Academy. We were driving on a wet down set. That was a lot easier as well. Uh, but then being able to work out this braking system and now that braking system is gone and now I'm going to the Mitsubishi Evos was completely yeah. different. Um, but that hot rod, I think, prepared me for the Mitsubishi Evo short wheelbase, <clears throat> which meant that car was um, um, really skatey, you know, it would easy to throw around and to drift and to throw into 360s because it was a shorter wheelbase. So that, the Evos were very similar to that. Um, so I think that prepared me to go into to that next car. Once you start getting the vehicles down, <clears throat> how far away is it from that mm. that you're suddenly into those primary on-mic leads? Yes, that's right. Isn't that funny? I even totally forgot that I did those as well. Yeah. <laughs> That was my way in. That was my way in. Right. So when I auditioned at the start, um, like I said, I auditioned for the stunt roles, but I also auditioned for Captain Harris. Yeah. So um, at the time, it was Dave Anderson. Um, Dave Anderson was the one. You've had him on the podcast yes. before. Um, he was the one who essentially hired me. Matty Little back in the, yes. in the day there and Gavin Coleman. Yes. Um, they really took me under their wing as well and they really showed me all excellent performers in their own right. Um, and when I auditioned for Captain Harris and got the gig... Um, yeah, that was another thing where I was like, I've got my audience back. Here I've got a, a stadium full of people, I've got a microphone, I can do this, no worries. I just had to try and embody that character of Captain Harris, which for me at the time, I was 25 yeah. and um, yeah. I was, you know, not necessarily, I would never ever, I still don't call myself an actor. I don't think I'm really an actor. I've never really been able to sort of channel those sort of deeper emotions to put them over onto screen that's never been my thing it's always been i can emulate something if you give me a character i can learn that character and play that character yeah. but trying to play yourself i think is extremely difficult yeah. you would know this you're a much better actor than i am oh please stop <laughs> don't stop this yet. But, but in a minute could you stop but what was that what was that feeling <clears throat> like when you're up front in front of that audience <clears throat> and there was no other show we've talked about this a few times through the series yep. with gav gav mm -hmm. coleman especially there was nothing in the country like Police Academy. No. And fans of the park that discovered Movie World knew that. Did you know you were in something that was completely unique? Yeah. I mean, I remember working, as I said before, with Chris Knight at the casino. Mm. And I remember him telling me at the time, you know, this is the place to be. This is yeah, the number right. one show on the Gold Coast. Everyone who comes to the Gold Coast comes to see this show. Mm. And I'd heard about it a lot before. I came to the park as a guest when I was 17. Um, but I hadn't been back that much since because I'd been performing and doing whatever. Yeah. Um, and so by the time I actually came back to watch the show, it was, it was like that re revelation. I'm like, wow, I can't believe I've taken this long yeah. to, to try and be a part of this. This is what I want to do. This yeah. is amazing. And not only that, it's because it encompassed all of those things that I thought I could already do. Acting was involved, comedy was involved, physical skill was involved, um, driving 
riding bikes, doing everything. It was all involved in that one show, which is mm, crazy mm. to think that you can actually, I think you and I had this conversation when I first started and we mm. first met. Mm. I don't think there's anywhere else that you can perform where you get so much freedom and you get so much diverse training as what you get yes. here. Because from everything, even of what I've done, from going from Elvis to two-wheel driving a vehicle and you know, playing Batman and abseiling yeah. off the roof and all these other things that we've done, I don't think there's anywhere else you can do that. No. I felt extremely lucky at the time. And I had the same <clears throat> respect for SeaWorld before Movie World Absolutely. opened. That was, if, wasn't, if it wasn't for SeaWorld, mm -hmm. nothing else would have happened. Yeah. The opportunity to do any kind of voiceover or television, or mm -hmm. that, was, that was all skills born out of there. Yeah. That Police Academy experience, it takes up how much of your life in terms of years? How long are you? So Police Academy at the time, um, I was part of that show for six years. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> by the time that it, it shut down. Like I said, when I first started at Movie World, I didn't automatically get into it. Yeah. Um, and even as part of that, as you were sort of alluding to before, once you go through the audition process, that's just the start. Yes. Now it's training. So you would train three months, six months, nine months, depending on what roles that you were, you know, getting trained in for. It could take a long time. So when I very first started, I was spending the first six months just training. Did you have a picture in your head as you were going through your career, mm -hmm. okay, I'm not going to be a stand-up, but I know mm -hmm. I've, I've got that in my kit and I've given it a shot. Mm -hmm. um, you get into the theme park game and you, you've come back from Sydney. Mm -hmm. What was the end game? Because did, did you end up kind of finding the love and the passion to, to be in it for as long as you were? Or did you make a conscious decision to say, yeah, I'm not chasing this now. I, I want to be doing this. Mm -hmm. Or did you get distracted? You know, um, I guess I'm wondering, when you were moving to Sydney and doing things like that, did you have an end game in your mind, oh, I'm going to be mm -hmm. a pro professional singer, or I'm going to be a musician? Uh, then suddenly you're a, an actor, a stunt mm -hmm. driver, mm -hmm. a superhero, mm -hmm. a vocalist, <laughs> all in this one space. Yeah. I think you probably went through the same thing, where you actually just try and think, what, what can I do that's going to be good enough to support me while yeah. I can do these other things. Right. That's all I was thinking. What can I do that, that I can be good enough to allow me the freedom to be able yeah. to experiment with these other forms of entertainment? Back then, you had that opportunity where if you didn't have 5, 10, 15 strings to the one bow, you wouldn't get work. Yeah. So I took that seriously and I was like, okay, well, I need to just do as much as I can as part of this industry in order to continue to work. I'd had plenty of real jobs. I'd had dozens and dozens of jobs previous to that, which, you know, who actually wants to have a real job as such? Yeah. When you're, you're young, you're excited, you want to be part of the industry, you want to perform, that's all you want yeah. to do. And that's all my goal was. But I figured that if I could, if I could sing, dance, be funny, <laughs> do all these other things, that would keep me employed. But I was still just searching for that one thing that could take me somewhere that I could do it full time. That's all I really wanted. Mm. Here was the only place that I actually come across previous to that where you could do all of that here. I could mm. sing as Elvis. I could do yeah, martial arts as right. Batman. I could drive cars. Whereas I was actually outside of that, but only doing them for separate yeah. people. I was doing singing gigs on the side. I was doing stand-up on the yeah. side and um, dancing gigs on the side, doing a lot of dancing, doing modeling, doing other things in the industry <laughs> to keep things going. Yeah. So I remember being a... Um, a Tuesday night ladies night guy at Shooters for 80 bucks. That's fantastic. <laughs> now when you say a ladies guy, <laughs> is, there another, is there another name? 
for that work <laughs> that we're not using. They used to call them bubble boys, to be honest. But no, you were just, uh, it was back in the 80s where, you know, there was a lot of bow tie, no shirt work, that kind of yeah, work. Yeah, You'd yeah, You'd go and serve champagne to the girls on the Tuesday night, the ladies' night. That was pretty much That's how we did. should have done this interview conversation. I agree. I thought about it. I did think about it. Cheap to dry clean. That is gold. But the, um, yeah, I was always thinking about that. How do I stay employed? Yeah. How do I stay employed? So I, I would never consider myself the best singer. I'd never consider myself the best dancer. Mm. I certainly wouldn't consider myself the best actor. Mm. I'm not the best stuntman out there. But I can do it well enough to stay in the industry full time. But it's only because that's been my goal. That's been my goal, to yeah, stay there. Do yeah. what I can to get there. You would have even remembered when um, myself and Chris Grew, we were talking about doing show businessmen, which yes. was actually a concept that we were coming up with at the time, um, which was injecting show business uh, into the boardroom. Yeah. trying to bring a bit of pizzazz and trying to bring a bit of um, flair that we knew that we had, that we could bring it into the corporate environment. And that was actually sort of born out of doing exactly what we do here. Yeah, Watching, um, you know, you would have done this as well, where you're sitting backstage and you're watching, you know, someone get up in front of their their uh, their staff and deliver a speech. And oh, it's yeah. just the most painful thing yeah. you've ever heard. It's painful man. for them and it's painful for the audience. It's painful for everybody. Yeah. They yeah. don't want to be there. Like, yeah. it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. So that was sort of where that was born as yeah. well. We were saying, oh, this might be something that we can do. But I think that um, the public speaking thing and the MC thing, which I'm doing now, mm. that actually was born out of, honestly, getting older. Right. And starting to... My body's starting to hurt. I'm waking up every morning, my neck, my back, yeah. my, uh, you know, all of yeah. that. Just starting to get old and I'm feeling it from all these years of just literally throwing myself into right. everything. Right. Whereas I thought, okay, I need to do something that's going to give me a bit more longevity. And still singing gigs and do yeah. things on the side and whatever. But I knew that, that I had that strength that I could push to try and create and reinvent myself as such, which where that whole Tommy G, the MC came from yeah. is trying to reinvent myself where something that I could step back from those really physical elements of, of entertainment. You, you, you've always been impressive in, the, in that respect. And I remember I would be watching your Insta feed mm-hmm. or your social content that you'd be sharing, you know, and there'd be a promo clip for the four seasons. Yeah. And there you are with Peter Murphy again. Yeah. He seems to be this constant creative <laughs> brother in your yeah, life. He is. Yeah. And you're on stage and you're in the matching suits mm-hmm. and it's an auditorium setting. And you're you're doing the the dance, the choreographed move mm-hmm. movement together, and you're singing four part harmony, mm-hmm. four season songs. Mm-hmm. They're not easy songs. No, it's difficult. And then you would scroll through your feed, and then you're doing a live cross on the Today Show in the mornings, and it's freestyle motocross, mm-hmm. and you are the guy that's embodying that energy mm-hmm. for what that audience is, and it's authentic and real. Mm-hmm. There's all these hats that you've been able to wear and wear successfully. <laughs> Is the is the music still a part? Can can we can we go back in time and just quickly sure. talk about? I can't remember the name of the song. Echo, echo, <laughs> echo, echo. Now is that is that the one that was shot on the coast? Yes. And maybe if we should just say, if anyone wants to find this on YouTube, yeah. where would they find it? Pretty much, if you just get put into uh, YouTube, echo, echo, or all the people, those two clips will come. Is up. it all da people? All da people. See? That's right. Yes. Not, hey. There we go. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the sequel to that, the next thing was older <laughs> people. Maybe, no, I'm, just, I'm just thinking. Just old people. I'm just, just old, old people. people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So with uh, with all the people, yeah. And did you, did you have a, another stage name there too? <laughs> yeah, that was Wise Bud. 
Wisebud. Wisebud, that's right. Okay. Which is Budweiser backwards. There you go. So that's another alter ego. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's some, if people go onto YouTube and look mm-hmm. that up, yep. they'll see a, a high-end shoot. Mm-hmm. Like all, all that comes off high-end. Yeah. yeah. And you can see that there's no shortage of love into that. Yeah. Now, was that a piece of music that you wrote lyrically yep. and, and structured? That actually worked out really crazy because a lot of people look at that and they go, oh, Tommy's trying to be a, a pop star or something like that, which has never, ever been, well, it was when I was 18 years old, but since then, it's never been my goal. It's just something that I thought, okay, well, I can do this. It can't be that hard. Yeah, I'll work yeah, it out. No yeah, worries. Yeah. I was in oh, I was in Sydney at a gig. Uh, it was at Sydney Olympic Park, and um, I'd just finished doing Freestyle Motocross show in the arena. Went up to the bar that night, and um, the band that was there, they saw me come through the door, and they said, Tommy, get up on stage, give me the mic, come do a song. So I jumped up and did a song with the guys up there. And then they went, we've got a song for you. They started playing Echo Echo. So I was like, I don't even know how they knew that song. They'd obviously seen it. They'd looked it on YouTube. and Had you written that? Yeah. Wow. So I'd actually written that song because I saw Gangnam Style. Ah. And I thought, if this guy can be this popular. And he's only got to do it once. And he's doing it once. I can do that. I saw the video. I don't know if you've ever watched the video Gangnam Style. It's hilarious. But it's just, he was a comedian, obviously, yeah. and he was something, he was like, oh yeah, I'll come up with a song that'll be catchy. It's, it's the highest viewed video on YouTube. It's yeah, ridiculous. It's crazy, yeah. So I'm thinking, well, I can do that, which is insane. So I thought, okay, I need a song. I need a song. So I sat down, strummed out something on the guitar. Guitar's another thing that I actually only learned to play because we had no choice. Pete Murphy and I sat down, we said, we're gonna do a duo. One of us is gonna have to learn guitar. Who's it gonna be? And I was like, I think I knew three chords and he knew two. That's so I went, fantastic. All right, well, I guess it's me. Three chords, you can play a thousand songs. Exactly. Yeah. And we used those three chords <laughs> yeah, many times. That's right. So I, would, I learned just enough to get through our gigs. Wow. Um, so then I started strumming out the guitar. I came up with a little riff and I went, yeah, that'll work. Mm. And then I thought, okay, what are the other most popular artists? Taylor Swift, no worries. Started listening to lots of Taylor Swift. Sort of caught the melodies, caught the hooks. All yeah. right, I'll get that. Put it all together, put it all together. And then that's how that song was kind of born. Yeah. But then again, I had no idea about recording studios and that was my producing. Question. And I know that's a massive world. We live on an island here in our country. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, every industry is tiny, yeah. no matter how big you think it is. Yeah. People know people who know people. Yeah. And if you're good at it, whatever it is you're good at, people will know. If it's the opposite, they will know. Yeah. And reputations will follow you. Absolutely. So, did, did you pull on a network of industry contacts? 100%. And then <laughs> they obviously shared your enthusiasm. Yeah. And you then start to create this musical piece? Yeah. So I built it from the bass up. So I would, I would play licks on my guitar, send it to the producer. He would put it together as something and then go, okay, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? All right, it's time to go to the studio. I'd go to the studio, lay some vocal. Yeah. All right, I'll get back to you. We'll do another. I have so much respect for that process of producing music. 100%. I had no idea mm. how difficult, how intricate and how much talent it takes even just to get something down that sounds even mediocre. Yeah. Anyone that has ever released a song and put it out there, I take my hat off to them because that is an extremely difficult process. Mm. And I had no idea about that. Yeah, so yeah. I just dived into it and went, we'll just work it out as we go. So I went right through that process of producing it, came back to the point that I went, yep, I'm happy with that. And I went, all right, we need a video. Again, rang a whole bunch of people. What do you think? Do you want to come here? Do you want to do that? Yep, yeah, great, let's go. Make it funny. It's great. <laughs> do it, did it, shot it, put it out there. And the concept, again, was never to do anything as such because people kept saying to me, why are you doing this? Yeah, yeah. I went, because it's 
fun. It's yeah. part of what we do. I talked to someone the other day, and it's not mine, it's Dr. Wayne Doe, and I've used it before on this podcast, but there are certain truths I go back to all the time. He had this line, which was, don't die with your music still in you. There you go. Whatever your music is, oh, yeah. I want to be a cabbie. Yeah. I want to own a cab, I want to be an Uber driver. Okay. Mm. But that's your music, mm. get it out. Yeah. It doesn't have to measure up to anyone else's expectation, but if it's in you, mm-hmm. your job is to get it out of you. Absolutely. And for creators, it is that. It's got to come out. Yeah. However I get it out. Yeah. And then whatever it does, it does. Yeah. But it's more about the process of getting it out. Exactly. And that seems to be what motivates you it too. It really is. And yeah. I've said that to a lot of people uh, sort of since then, whenever they say to me, oh, you know, I'd love to be a, a recording artist. I go, okay, do it because you love it. Don't do it for any other reason. Don't do it to get popular. Don't do it to make a million dollars. Just do it because you love it. If you do it because you love it and then people like it and then <clears> maybe it gets popular and maybe you make some money out of it, that's all great. But just do it because you love it. So I had that song, put that song out, and then went to Sydney at that gig, jumped up on stage with the band in the bar, sing Echo Echo, jump down, I'm on the beers with friends. Guy comes up to me, French guy, and goes, "Um, hey, is that your song? And I said, yes, it is. It's a great song, super catchy. It was broken English, French, in a bar. Couldn't really understand him. And I remember saying, he was telling me all this stuff, and I couldn't really hear him. I said, mate, we've got to go outside. I I can't hear what you're saying. Went outside in the bar and he goes, oh, I'm a music producer. I've come here to watch a show. Sydney released a show. Gets 100,000 people a day through the gate. So it's a massive show, um, you know, for 10, 11, 12 days, I think they're doing this yeah. year. Um, I've just come to watch the show, but I'm friends with some of the members and whatever. So he was up. We were in the members bar at the time. So I assumed he was staff, um, but it wasn't just some guy who'd come there. And he goes, oh, I just love that song. It's super catchy. I'm a music producer. I reckon that we could do something. He goes, have you ever done any Latin music? And I went, yes. <laughs> Chad. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, I know all about it. You know, yeah, yeah this and yeah. that and this. He goes, yeah, yeah. So he starts showing me some things on YouTube and there's songs that he's produced. And he goes, can you write me something like this? And I went, absolutely, I can. No worries. So he gives me his details, goes away. And I went, okay, well, I need to write a Latin music song somehow. Yeah. So I just started ringing around people saying, what can I do? Well, someone said, um, Jesus, who worked here, yeah. oh, he creates music. Mm. Great. I'll talk to him. Never spoke to him before. Yeah. Walked up to him. Hey, mate, I heard you do some music. I'd love to collaborate. Do you want to get together, have a bit of a jam session? Fantastic. Said, yeah, great. So he was recording with um, uh, one of his uh, friends, really good guy. Um, his name's Chicky. Uh, just nearby here, and they were having a writing session one night. I said, why don't you come along? So went over there, jammed a little bit, did a few things, and I said, oh, well, I've got this song that I think might work, that I'd worked out. I actually heard it in my dream. Yeah. Heard it in my dream, yeah, and I, I went, okay, yeah, I can see how that works. I woke up, strummed a little bit, wrote a few things down, went back to sleep. Yeah. Woke up the next morning, put that song together. When we were doing that writing session, I played it to them, and they went, that's a hit. That's a hit. We can make something out of that. I went, Okay. So they took it away, did some production, sent it back to me, and there it was. That was that song. Wow. All the people. Yeah. And I was like, all right, great. No worries. I've got to get that to the French, uh, French producer. Yeah. Sent it to him. Sends it back. Love it. Perfect. Great. Can we produce that? Can we make it work? Okay. No worries. So we recorded it. We did everything. Then I started thinking about how can I make this also work for me? I'm going to have to involve some time here. I'm going to have to involve some money here. Mm. I'm going to have to make this happen. I need to make it work for me. How can I make some money on the side to fund this project? Yes. So I thought, oh no, well, I'll create a character. I'll create a show. 
I'll create this Latin tropical nights themed corporate show yeah, that I can then yeah. sell to events, but that's going to fund this music project. So that's how that sort of all <laughs> came about. Finally did that thing. Then I thought, let's take it a step further. Let's speak with um, Gold Coast City Council. Let's see if they're interested in filming some stuff and um, getting involved to promote the Gold Coast because it's a tropical vibe. We get people out there. There's plenty of people on the coast here, dancers, Fiesta Creations, and those guys yeah. are amazing. Um, maybe they're going to want to be a part of it. So I just rang all that network of people and said, do you want to be a part of this? They said yes. So then we're allowed to shoot in Cavill Mall. We're allowed to shoot on the beach, yeah. which is very difficult to do. To be up, you actually have to get approval from Warren Young who was the original lifeguard, head lifeguard of the Gold Coast, to, to shoot anywhere. Right. To shoot on the Esplanade, to shoot on the beach, you need to get right. his approval. And he's notorious for saying, no, yeah. you can't do that, because obviously they want to keep the beach pristine, and yeah. I get that. For some reason, he saw the video, saw the song, went, yep, great, we'll do that. So they gave me hmm. basically free reign of the Gold Coast to shoot yeah. all of this stuff. That all happened really, really fast. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Um, uh, also then, um, through this French producer, he then um, sent it through to a contact, a guy that produced The Fast and the Furious. So he said, I'm going to send this video through to him, and this one might be something he might be interested in. I went, Come fantastic, on. no worries. So then I get a message from Fauzi Bacati, who's the producer of The Fast and the Furious soundtrack. Hey, love that song. That's great. We might be able to use it somewhere. I've got a bank of artists, so he's a, he has his own recording label. <laughs> We might see if one of the artists maybe want to sing it. Wow. I don't speak Spanish. Yeah. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> but so I was like, great, excellent, excellent. So I've actually been now, I've created this friendship with this guy. This that, is crazy. Uh, crazy. Yeah. Crazy. And again, nothing to do with my previous experience. Yeah. I had no yeah. idea what I was doing. I had a guy come up to me in a bar and said, that's a great song. So where did this whole thing land? So at this point now, it's just basically out there in the universe. Did the Fast so, and the Furious thing ever follow up? No, he did. I still talk to him. Yeah. But... um. He actually then wanted to turn around and then say, I want to start my own record label in Australia and I want you to head it up. Right. So he wanted me to head his record label, which again, more of them, yeah, yeah. that's not for me. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of just where that ended up. But um, I mean, part of that video essentially just turned out to be a promo video for the corporate shows. Mm. And so we did maybe two and a half years of solid gigs. Gigs, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. paid for the video wow, 10 times a, over. Such a great story. Crazy. Richard Branson talks about his secret to success was he always said yes. Yeah. Even when he didn't know if 100%. he could. Of course. Because if I say yes, I'm going to learn really quick. Yeah. I know that about me. I always say this. I always say, say yes, because if you say no now, it's no. If you say yes now, you can say no later. Yeah. If you say no now, it's no. You can't say yes later. You say no, they find someone else. Yeah. Then you come back and go, hey, I'd love to do that. Too late. Yeah. So I say yes. Can you abseil Tom? Yes. Can you drive a car Tom? Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, can you do a Latin song, Tom? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Could you put a bow tie on? Sure. Not a problem. And pour a champagne? <laughs> <laughs> while you're, yes. While you're sweating exactly. in a really hot, high That's temperature club? Gig. It's a tough gig. 80 bucks cash, too. Yeah. I remember that back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Where, did you carry a wallet? <laughs> Didn't have any pockets. Didn't have any pockets. <laughs> I don't want to know where you kept it. <laughs> That's an incredible, an incredible creative life. In recent years, there's been, mm. correct me if I'm wrong, there's these these big tours around the country, yeah. the big shows and mm -hmm. the big grounds. We're talking over a year. Mm. We're talking literally hundreds of thousands of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been really lucky where I got to um, the stage here with Movie World where I was like, okay, what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? I was 
turning 40, I'm like, okay, I've been doing some fantastic um, stuff here with characters and Batman and everything. But what, what's next? What am I going to do next? And then um, Showtime came on board to um, originally to just to do, I think, Fright Nights, where there was a freestyle motocross show. Um, and um, the lovely KP at the time was doing some work for Krusty Demons and Nitro Circus. She introduced me to Gary. So I went up to Brisbane and watched a couple of those shows, the Krusty Show and uh, Nitro Circus. And I remember thinking, this is great. This mm. is a super entertaining um, show, like full production support. This is when it was really firing. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'd love to be a part of that. That'd be great. Yeah. So then when I met Gary, Gary said, hey, I'm thinking about stepping back. I've got other projects. He was obviously in a transitional phase yeah. of, of, of his career. And he said, would you be interested in doing some announcing for me? He saw me do Morgan Ross here at um, Hollywood Stunt Driver. Yeah. yeah. So he went, oh, you'd be great to do that. So I again, remember that period because I've known Gary since we were both in our early 20s at SeaWorld mm-hmm. doing ski shows. And I remember he'd been the guy on the mic and oh, the yeah. voice of that business mm-hmm. forever. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden, he wants it to go some, to someone else, but he still yeah. loves it yeah. too. And it's still him. Yeah. And I remember he and I would talk quite a bit about the the transition process for him Mm. and having to for you to flourish and for him to flourish yeah he had to let it go yeah which is what he eventually did yeah and it's what eventually happened for both of you definitely i i give him full credit for that because that would be difficult because i i would always whenever i'm talking to anybody i would always put myself in their position i go how do what does this mean to you how would this feel for you and i remember thinking that for him if that was my baby that he's built and i mean you know, Gary is a self-made man. He built this from the ground up yes. and he brought that phenomenon of the freestyle motocross to Australia and, and it's extremely successful at it. Yeah. But how, how would I feel if I had to hand that over? I wouldn't have liked that either. Yeah. So I thought to myself, well, what I need to do here is I need to pay respect to it, which yeah. of course I do and I still do to this day. Yeah. Pay respect to Gary, respect to the riders. But then I thought I also need to put my own twist on it yeah. because then I would feel, I would hope, that, that Gary would feel that I was taking it to another place, taking it to another level. I wasn't trying to... Emulate. To, exactly. Mm. Yeah, I was trying to do my own thing with it. And I think that's the only way that I could have done it because I didn't have that experience of... I mean, I'd gone to Supercross events and stuff that growing up. Um, motocross was super popular during that time, yeah. in the 90s and 2000. I'd, so I had a little bit of knowledge, but not a lot. The only way that I could do <clears> this is I could bring my my performance side to it, to make it interesting, make it fun, yeah. make it exciting, make it something different than what it was. But uniquely you. Yeah. Can you just tell us, what's that feeling like when you're in front of a, a Nitro oh, wow. crowd? Yeah. I mean, I've been to the shows and yeah. taken the kids and yeah. it's electric. It's amazing. What's it like to be up front being the conductor to the orchestra yeah. of that? There's there's a moment always, and it still happens every year, and we're just about to roll into it again this year, and, and it is in that, that stadium that Sydney released a show, but it applies to these other shows that we do. Um, where I, I just have that moment before I go out there, I see the crowd, they're really loud. It's a massive stadium. It's as far as you can see. The seats right up to as far as you can see, and they're packed. And I'm thinking, it's just me, just this microphone, and I've got to make this work, you know? But I would always look at it going into it, going, this is a moment that I can really make great. I can really do something good here. And I always feel that when I go out, that I immediately let the audience know that I'm one of them. I'm one of you. I'm here to have fun. I want you guys to have fun. Let's do this together. So I would script my shows and I would, um, I would use dynamic and music and I'd use great intro and then lighting. And I'd, especially in a place where you're working in like the Olympic Park, you've got such a great support team of... <laughs> of production they're amazing 
and I've worked with those guys and get timing and then luckily enough the uh, the freestyle motocross guys they're so good at what they do they've been doing it for so long I can I can hold them up I can call them in I can and I could create dynamic in that show but that feeling of standing there like for example on a um, on a good Friday or something like that you're talking packed to the rafters 50,000 people there's one spotlight it's just you just the mic it's go time you've got to do yeah. this <laughs> but I love that I yeah. love that I love that feeling I yeah. love that feeling of being able to do that but I think you get nervous you get nervous I think if you are trying to do something perfect and not make a mistake yeah. I don't do that no. I go I'm, a, I'm going to allow myself to make a mistake yeah. and I'm going to be authentic 100% yeah. because that's what I do I'm this guy I'm not someone that you don't think I am I'm this guy but we're going to do this together and so I'd realised that during the show and I'd do that same thing that we talked about with audiences that we've got at um, uh, Hollywood Stunt Driver and in stand-up comedy and all those other things as well I can feel that swell of the audience I've got them I've got them but then I go yeah. okay we don't want to burn Hold, them out release. So do it. yes uh, a little bit of timing a yeah. little bit of timing give it give it give it give it you yeah. know see the, that, what you're describing there is so great to hear because I think I talked about this with Ashley Thomason in one of our in a Park Life episode. I'm not sure uh, where you completely understand intuitively that it's a selfless act mm. that the great artists or performers understand. I'm a vessel. Yeah, it's about you. Yeah, but the second it looks like it's about me, yeah. it's showing you. Yes. Hey, sit back and watch me because I'm really good at this. Oh, can't stand it. We all know those performers, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you know when you're getting a show like that too. Yeah. Can't stand oh, it. Oh, you're no. not actually here for us. No. This is for you yeah. to show us what you do. I'm great. That's not kind of what I'm here for. No. I want to feel something. Absolutely. Because I already accept that you're great. Yeah. I'm here. Yeah, that's right. Now just bring me in. Yeah. And you, you obviously have continued to do that your whole working life. Yeah. You're a dad now. How long yeah. have you been a dad? Ten months. Not even a year. Ten months. Crazy. And... and that's a, that's a whole new chapter of your life. Yeah. You're still on the road. You're about to go on the road again. Oh, Can you yes. tell us about that? Yeah. So I'm just about to go down and do uh, the UCI World Championships for road racing cycling. Now, what do I know about cycling? Nothing. But I was in, uh, I was in Adelaide uh, a couple of months back doing um, the V8 supercars were down there. So I had freestyle motocross shows. There was also a BMX demo down there. But the BMX demo actually then turned out to be a competition and it was sanctioned by this um, international cycling board, which, you know, anything that uh, of any um, level, international level, has to be sanctioned by this UCI. So uh, some of the people that are part of that were watching the BMX demo. So I'm going out there and just doing what I do. And so they approached uh, the guy that was running the event there and said, we've got to have that guy for, for, uh, for the next cycling event. Can you come and do it? Sure. So they contacted me. Hmm. So now I'm going to go down there and do that and uh, try and make that work. <laughs> that story's got echoes of the French guy in the bar. It's exactly right. And you that's just exactly saying right. yes. Sure. No worries. There's the theme that. of your life. I mean, yeah. say yes. It actually happened with, um, with X Games. X Games was one of those tests of my life where I was like, okay, so I've said yes. I've done what I can do to get this gig, but now I've got to nail this gig. Yeah. So I was like, I'm on the international stage. ESPN, everything's happening yeah. here. This is important. So this is in 2018. And I remember thinking, okay, I need to pay respect to, to the riders. I need to pay respect to X Games and the history. We're talking yes. about a long, long line of extreme sports. Yes. You know, this is super popular. It's watched by millions and millions of people around the world. So I went into full study mode. I was like, I'm going to learn hmm. everything I possibly can about freestyle motocross. They sent us through a whole bunch of stuff. Um, 
for you know the shoot that was going to come up but then they gave us what they call pick sheets which you would know they have that on the side which is so you can just throw things i didn't know at the time that that was going to be there so right. i thought i had to learn it right so i had a hundred pages of pick sheets that i learned everything so wow. i learned i also didn't know if i was going to be commentating freestyle motocross as well as bmx as well as skateboarding right. male and female so yeah. i'm now going through every athlete yeah. learning all the bios learning everything so i've got it ready to go ready to go ready to go of course they turn up on the day there's four screens when you got there so you've got um your live action you've got replay action you've got rider list stuff but then you get pick sheets so it's all right in front of you so i didn't even need to learn it but hats off to you though that that's says it. everything about you <laughs> I wanted to, le I wanted to yeah. learn it so I knew by the time I got there I'd have it. So. Oh, look, uh, your, your method is fantastic. And I'm thinking as you're talking about the times I've said yes and got out of my comfort zone. There's oh, no yeah. growth in the comfort zone, right? No, that's There's right. There's only growth by being uncomfortable. Yeah. And I got asked from a friend of a friend, hey, would you come and call a Gold Coast Titans football game in sure. the stadium? And <laughs> I've never called a sports game in my life. Nah. From a live booth, in, in the commentary booth. Crazy. Working with the sound guys and yeah. on the you know, AC, DC, back in black on the tries yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And I jumped in. I thought, I'll make a recording of this because it could only ever happen once. Yeah. It only ever happened once. <laughs> and, and I did all the prep that I could. Yeah. I got through. I right. got through. But I'm listening to you talk and realising there, like you said before, I may not be, uh, I know I'm not an actor, but I know yeah. I'm very good at these things. Yeah. That was me discovering, I'm, I think I'm pretty good on mic. I'm not very good on Mike calling rugby league games, <laughs> but, maybe, but maybe that was the lesson I had to learn. Mate, it's, uh, what a wonderful life, what a wonderful journey so far, and it's not done. When you look ahead, mm -hmm. do you have a little bit of an idea of how you think it'll continue to evolve, or are you just looking to be surprised? Yeah, I think uh, in this industry, you can't really ever bank on anything. We know what, <laughs> um, what it's like. COVID was a, was a big wake-up call for a lot of people. I mean, the industry, that we, as we know it, disappeared. The event industry yeah. was completely gone for yeah. nearly two years. Um, so there's really nothing that you can ever bank on, but um, I think that I'm probably still going to explore more of what I'm doing now. So that's commentating now. I open myself up to anything. Mm. I've commentated things from polo, table tennis, trampolining, <laughs> fantastic, anything, just yeah. to give it a crack, yes. just to see what happens. Yes. And I've found though that you can do it. You do this very well yeah. as well. Your your background leads yourself to this. Mm. You, if you keep yourself with what you know, you can just throw those little bits and pieces out to the yeah. side and you'll always find your way back. Yeah. When everyone ever, ever asks me about emceeing or about speaking on the mic at all, I always say, I always come back to the tree. So it's that tree of life. I've got my trunk, that's where is my basic business. I know what's going on. That's my, hello ladies and gentlemen, my interacting with right, the crowd. Then I'll start to branch out a little bit, which might oh. be a little couple little gags here and there, see what the crowd is like, but then I might go way out into the leaves where things might start oh, to get a bit that. crazy but I know I can always come back to that trunk. I'm going to steal that. That's a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful way to put it. I understand exactly what you're talking about. Yes, yes. Yeah. You would do this too. There's when you're when you're talking in front of an audience, you're listening to yourself. Of course you are. You're also then going off on tangents in your mind going, where can I take this? I can take it this way, take it this way. And if you're intuitive to the audience, you can start going, oh, they like me to do that. So I'm going to do more of that. And I'll go more out that way. Oh, they don't like that. I'm going to come back over this way. So I'm always creating little sort of it's great little, little branches pathways, where yeah. it is. And then, but I always yeah. know. If Man, it's that, you, you're describing something that is very hard to describe and describing it beautifully in a way that I'm really appreciating too. It makes I'll, me, I'll, I, th I think about that a lot when yeah, I'm doing it. Well, well said. And in front of 50,000 people, you need it. Yeah, well because said. Because it can go pear-shaped. Not easy to articulate that 
processing. You did it beautifully. Last two questions. I know there's many moments, and that's the great <laughs> thing about living a full life. Again, it's not about the length of anyone's life, right? It's about the breadth. Mm-hmm. You've packed a lot in. When you do look back, is there just one moment, the first one that comes to your mind, if someone said, proudest moment where you were standing there or sitting there thinking, wow, look at this, big guy. This is a moment. I mean, obviously the birth of children is, you know. Nothing like it. Nothing like it's, that. Yeah. That's, that's really, um, I always said I didn't want children. Yeah, I always right. said that. I said, no, I'm, I, I didn't want to be the kind of dad that was always away and, yeah. you know, that kind of thing with this industry that happens. But um, I actually do it now. <clears throat> I do it now more so than, than any time. I said a couple of years ago, I said, I, I, I just want to have a house. I just want to have a happy marriage and I just want to have a child that's, you know, a happy, healthy child. You've been blessed. Yeah. yeah. And at the time, this was when my wife had just fallen pregnant. Yeah. And I mean, all those things that come up in your mind as well, what could happen and yes, if there could be health complications on either end with yeah. my wife, with my child. And I remember all I remember thinking at the time was if I can just have that, I'll be happy. And you know what? The One of the most happiest times that I have is when I'm standing in my front yard. I've got freshly cut lawn. Yeah, I hear you. Oh, that the afternoon, the yeah. sun's going down. I've got the missus and the kid inside the window yeah. there having a great time. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's when I'm happy. Yeah, that's beautifully said. There is nothing else like it. The, uh, the other thing I want to ask you then is if, if there's any one thing that motivates you now, what's your juice? And, it, and do you have a routine? Like what, mm. what keeps you energised and keeps you pushing forward? And is there a routine that you feed that with? Do you know what I think it is? I think it's other people. I think it's other people. As that I look at every audience or every person that I interact with, I always think about a way that I can get that person smiling or get that person happy or try and get them distracted out right. of something that's, that's bringing them down or whatever it might be. That, that feeds me, that feeds me. And then yeah. I look at an audience as the same way. I go, how can I get this audience to have the greatest time? How can I get the kids walking home with mum and dad going, that guy was funny, that was a great night. You know, I loved coming out here. That's what feeds me. That's what feeds well me. Well said. If you were to say to your little girl when the time is right and you're having, you know, those conversations about life, which mm-hmm. I've got the chance to have and continue to have, and they'll get deeper as they get older, yeah. <laughs> with, you, with, your, with your children, mm-hmm. those conversations are very important, obviously. But if you were to give her a little bit of life advice in a, in a statement mm-hmm. about what the possibilities could be. Mm-hmm. What do you think you might say? I think I'd say, uh, I think I'd say, just give it a go. Don't mm. let anyone tell you no. Just give it a go. See what happens. What's yeah. the worst that can happen? Get out there. Give it a go. Yeah, it's perfect. Doesn't get any better than that, <laughs> or as simple as that. <laughs> you know, there is nothing That's to it. lose by pushing yourself out there. And there's so many people out there that just want to say no. Yeah. Like, what are you doing that for? Just yeah. the, the haters, the naysayers. Yeah. <laughs> Just social media is the worst thing for it. Yeah. Just, you know, the bullying that goes on. The, I know. The ripping yeah. of people, the destroying of people, it's been, the cancelling It's of harder than ever in this, for this generation Awful. to cut through the noise. Yeah. And just be able to sit in your own skin. Yeah. And become your own coach. So hard. You know? And I, 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 feel, I feel for the for people that wrestle with that because it's inundated with noise. Mm-hmm. I've got a similar kind of way of speaking with my kids too about... Back yourself. Yeah. Get comfortable with the person in the mirror mm. and don't be afraid to put yourself out there. See what Absolutely. happens. Not everything goes your way, but not everything's meant to go your way. No. And when it doesn't, that's where the growth is. Yeah. Funny you know? stories. So don't, don't, yeah, funny stories and yeah. adventures. And then growth comes out of that. Mm-hmm. Or you can sit still and spend your life telling all the reasons why you didn't move to anyone that will listen. Yeah. And nothing changes when nothing changes. Yeah, that's right. Your, your life stories in, the, in this industry is pretty rare. And in this industry, within the Australian theme park game, mm-hmm. you're, I think you're a singular 
artist, and I've said that many times before, you've been able to push yourself out and evolve, then reinvent and not be afraid to reinvent. Mm. And if you can't reinvent or adapt, regardless of industry, mm. it's over. I completely agree. Regardless of industry, yeah. you've got to be able to reinvent and you also then have to be brave enough to get as many feathers in the cap as you possibly can. Absolutely. And do as you've done. Yeah. Remain relevant yeah. and gainfully employed. Yeah, that's right. Don't be scared. Like we were saying before, you know, say yes now because you can say no later. You say no now, no is forever. Great to sit down and finally get your story, <laughs> mate. It's an epic it's taken a while. It's an epic it's one. It's taken a while. <laughs> you are excuse me. You are the first episode for twenty twenty three. Stop it. I hope you've got a good edit button. <laughs> and it's a great one to kick this uh this particular year off. So thanks for making the time to sit down and talk. It's a pleasure to finally capture this. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's going to be many people listening. They're going to take a lot out of it. So thank you again. Legend. Mate, thank you. Good on you.